we're trying to find out how to get virtue because only the virtues, virtuous have vision or vision is only for the virtuous. Do, we're in Plotinus, uh, do dispositions such as these exist in divinity? Being that imitates, they certainly do not. They exist only in the soul. Is that where we left off? Yeah. Okay, these dispositions only exist, such as these exist in divinity. They certainly do not. They exist only in the soul. I'm trying to find out what that means. Yeah. What is more, the soul thinks in its own way. The intelligence thinks in a different way. My what? I don't know. It is moving. Things are moving. You thought that was the nature of reality is to move. <laughs> Movingness and noiseless. I think you can get a noiseless world in the abstract world. <laughs> but there, even there, you have the music of the spheres. Do you do the thought of the intelligence? The intelligence thinks in a different way. The one thinks not at all. God, the one thinks not at all. There's a lot of tight stuff in this. The one doesn't think. No, he doesn't think to see the one. But God doesn't. God, God doesn't think? Mm -hmm. huh. Well, he doesn't think like us. Uh, dispositions such as these exist in divinity. This is part two of the, you have to listen to the prior. Let's say, what do you do sutras every day? Prior to them. You don't think about the sutras every day. Mm. They certainly do not. They exist only in the soul. Now he says, what is more, the soul thinks in its own way. So now the soul thinks in its own way. The intelligence thinks in a different way. Do you think the soul thinks? I suppose the soul has something going on. You know that drop of consciousness? Here. Does that drop of consciousness, which is like a part of God, think in its own way? Of course, the intelligence thinks in a different way. But I don't know even if the intelligence is uh, associated with the universal mind or if it's God. We don't know any of this stuff. Because I'm on the path of unknowing. The cloud. I'm in a cloud of unknowing. <laughs> That's why we're trying to get out of the clouds by reading Plotinus. The one thinks not at all. God, the one thinks not at all. Well, also enlightened people actually don't think, I don't think. Uh-oh, there's water there. Hold on. Uh, let's see.
So we find out something about the one. The one just thinks not at all. So should we think about the one, even though the think, the one thinks not at all? Do the thought of the intelligence and that of the soul have then only the name in common? God. This is quite a difficult course in mysticism, but this is the basic class. This is required reading in Western mysticism. Actually, I would say all mysticism. Do the thought of the intelligence and that of the soul have then only the name in common? Not at all. But the former is prior and the latter derivative and therefore different. Which one is the latter? It is an image of the inner word of another being. Hmm. Just as spoken language is an image of the inner language of the soul. You know how, like they say, Sanskrit is like a divine language? Hmm. This whole thing is so complicated, I'll have to read it again. Do's dispositions, such as these exist in divinity, they certainly do not. They exist only in the soul. What is more? The soul thinks in its own way. The intelligence thinks in a different way. The one thinks not at all. Do the thought of the intelligence and that of the soul have then only the name in common? No, not at all. But the former is prior. The former being the intelligence. And the latter derivative, and therefore different. Huh. How could the, dear, how could the soul be a derivative of the intelligence? Of course, the, well, I suppose if the intelligence, I don't know if we define it. Derives from it. The intelligence and his thinking is God, and the soul is derived from God. So maybe it makes sense. If you had any intelligence, you might understand that. Okay. Is that buggy? Buggery? <laughs> it is an image of the inter inner world of another being. Just as spoken language is an image of the inner language of the soul. Yeah, in a way, language is, uh, is an image of the inner language of the soul, right? Just think about how you have five charge names. <laughs> five charge names of the five gods, which uh, you can charge up a name if you are a Satguru. <laughs> or go to a Satguru and get some charged words. Spoken language, it is an image of the inner world of another being, just as spoken language is an image of the inner language of the soul, as spoken language compared to the soul's inner language. The soul's inner language is fragmented in words. The language of the soul translating the divine word is fragmentary if compared with that word. Yes, virtue pertains to the soul and not the intelligence. 
virtue pertains to the soul and not to the intelligence, nor to the apostasis above the intelligence. Or is purification the same thing as virtue, or does purification come first and virtue later? Question mark. Is purification the same thing as virtue, or does purification come first and virtue later? Does virtue consist in being pure, or in be becoming pure? You see, I don't know if it's a process. <laughs> Is this a state of being or a process? <laughs> Becoming. I like to become pure. Would be nice. <laughs> I wish I had some coffee that would may not purify me, but it might wake me up. <laughs> I wish I had pure coffee. Becoming pure is less perfect than being pure for Becoming pure is less perfect than being pure, for being pure is, as it were, the goal. Being pure is absent of all that is alien. Goodness is something else again. Goodness is something else again. Being pure is absence, absence of all that is alien. Goodness is something else again. If before being impure, one was good. Coffee? What? Can I drink some of your coffee? Could you bring my coffee and give me some? <laughs> and take some. Bring my coffee in a little cup. If before being pure, one was good. So purification suffices. If before being impure one was good, purification suffices. Once purification will suffice, what remains will be the goodness, not the purification. We must inquire more closely into what this is that remains. Obviously it is not the good, which cannot exist with an evil being. The appearance then of good, yes, a nature with two allegiances, unable to abide in the good. Union with its kin, is it good? With the foreign, it, it's evil. Therefore, must it purify itself to be united with its kin? I, don't, I have to read this again. We must inquire more closely into what this is that remains. Obviously, it is not the good, which cannot exist with an evil being. The appearance, then, of good, yes, a nature of two allegiances, unable to abide in the good, Union with his kin, is it good with the foreign, it's evil. Therefore, must it purify itself and be united with its kin? I still don't understand it. <laughs> Do I have a lack of ability to understand what this is? What? Uh, I'll start out with this section. Is purification the same thing as virtue? Or does purification come first and virtue later? Does virtue consist in being pure or in becoming pure? 
Becoming pure is less perfect than being pure, for being pure is, as it were, the goal. Being pure is absence of all that is alien. Well, his definition, dear, of pure is absence of all that is alien. I know that. You know but that? Certainly. Don't they just say that the saints are pure? The Their absence the of alien the stuff? Virtues, uh, What's alien? So purification, he calls the process of uh, oh. uh, attaining virtue in a way. You must, have, you must have. You must have purity because I'm only becoming pure, and you have purity. <laughs> uh, goodness is something else again. Now, goodness is something, dear. Goodness is something else than pure. So. If before being impure one was good, purification suffices. When purification will suffice, what remains will be the goodness, not the purification. Hmm. Yeah, we must. Uh, already, there's existed already purity and, uh, and beauty in goodness. We must inquire more closely into what this is that remains. Obviously, it is not the good, but cannot exist with an evil the appearance then of good, yes, the nature of two allegiances enable to abide in the good. Union with its kin is its good, and the foreign its evil. Therefore must it purify itself and be united with its kin. This uniting is a conversion, a conversion after the purification. What? A conversion after the purification? Question mark? No, the conversion is accomplished by the purification. Is virtue then conversion? Question mark. Is virtue then conversion? No. Virtue is what results in the soul from conversion. And this is, uh, question mark, that it sees. Receives the imprint of the intelligible much as the eye does of the visible, but not the intelligible always there. Its presence merely forgotten? Question mark. Yes. It was always there, lying inert in the dark, to drive back the dark and comes, so come to know it was there. Light was needed. You think light's needed for the conversion? Mm -hmm. light, um, light was needed. Light is is conversion then conversion? Yes. Is virtue then conversion? Question mark. Answer. It's a quiz. Dear. Is virtue then conversion? No. Virtue is what results in the soul from conversion. And this is that it sees, receives the imprint of the intelligible, much as the eye does of the visible, but is not, was not the intelligible, always there, its presence merely forgotten. That's a question mark. But was not the intelligible always there? Its presence merely forgotten. What's the answer? Yes, it was always there, lying inert in the dark, to drive back the dark and so come to know it was there. Light was needed. See. Light. By the light, he means through meditation. Light was needed. Light, vision. Vision. 
you need somebody to see the light to be converted or initiated. Further, processing imprints, not the originals. The soul, the soul must conform uh, the imprints to the verities whence the imprints came, but it does possess them. That doubtless means that the intelligence is not foreign to the soul. It is not foreign when the soul turns its regard towards it otherwise. Although present to the soul, it is foreign. It is here as with our scientific knowledge. If we do not ever address ourselves to it, it becomes a stranger to us. Now the scope of purification must be determined. Now we're section now the scope of purification must be determined. To what divinity does it render us like? With what divinity make us one? Question mark. Continue. I don't know. However. Curious enough to obtain virtue. Uh -huh. Unless I this. Uh -huh. The question chief chiefly is this In what sense does virtue purify our being, our desires, and all our other affections, our griefs, and the like? I ask this is to ask how far the soul can separate itself from the body. How far can it? Can we, how far can we separate the soul from the, itself from the body? How far? To ask this is to ask how far the soul can separate itself from the body. In separating itself, it, it withdraws into itself, into, as it were, its own place. <laughs> Above passion and affection, the unavoidable pleasures of sense, mere medic medication. Medication and assuragement, at least to be disturbed. You see, that's what I was saying. My own place is actually my third eye, so when I go to my apartment, my house, I reject houses altogether and residential areas. Houses, residences, all of this is rejected. The actual place that you go to is your third eye. You don't have an apartment. In separating itself, it withdraws into itself, into, as it were, its own place of a passion and affection, the unavoidable pleasures of sense, mere medication and assuagement. That's a French word there. Assuagement. Huh? Assuagement, least to be disturbed, that's quietness. You withdraw into, remember the master says, peace and calmness, stillness. Least to be disturbed. It no longer knows suffering. If that is impossible, it bears suffering without bitterness and eases its sting by refusing assent to it. It suppresses violent feelings. We should definitely suppress violent feelings. I'm going to suppress my violent feelings. 
If it cannot do it completely, at least it does not allow such feelings to gain the upper hand and banishes the involuntary to the body where it becomes infrequent and enfeebled. So I'm going to completely banish involuntary violence in the body so it becomes infrequent and enfeebled. The soul is without fear itself, although there is still sometimes the involuntary shiver and knows not fear except in the case where fear serves to avert danger. It desires evident, evidently nothing that is shameful. Food and drink it wants. <laughs> I definitely like coffee in the morning. I seem to need food at times. Food and drink at once for the satisfying of the body's needs, not for itself. In a way, we eat for the body, not for the soul. Is that not true? I eat for the body. But I don't eat for pleasure at all because I get pleasure from the soul. I only eat for the body. That's why I eat. That's why the food I eat is all targeted for my gut flora. Whatever they want. Not what I want. Food and drink it wants for the satisfying of the body's needs, not for itself. It does not seek erotic delights or seek only those that nature counsels and that leave it master of itself, or at most move within the confines of the imagination, and then only fleetingly. So we don't read to seek erotic delights, because once you reach the total enlightenment, you don't need any liquor, desserts, or anything hardly, any delights, nothing. We don't even go to Las Vegas. <laughs> you sit in, sit in meditation at the third eye, which is your, now your apartment. <laughs> hmm. The rational soul would be in itself free of all passions. It wills further to purify the irrational within it in order to avoid the buffeting of external impressions and at least to render it the less violent and more rare and holy and immediately tended to become of the proximity of reason, such a man who lives next door to a sage profits from his proximity. Huh. If we live next door to a sage... Uh, I should move next door to the master. That's it. Just proximity. I'll just, I could work at his, uh, maybe gate to his house or something. <laughs> or I could meditate in his porch. I'll say, I've come here to meditate all the time in your porch at 3 a.m. in the morning, and I demand it. And I'll say, oh, I can't refuse you. <laughs> Such a man who lives next door to a sage profits from his proximity and becomes like the sage, or at least capable of shame at doing what the good man would not want him to do. So I should go, go uh, meditate at 3 a.m. at the master's doorstep. And you could actually block his exit from the house and say he has to bless you or he can't get out. You could be rude, I guess. But that's not respectful of the master.
Hence there is no battling in the soul, it is insufficient that the reason is there. The lower part of the soul respects reason. And if it is disturbed by violent movement, it is itself that is irritated and not remaining in the quiet repose. You see how, like, if you become violent, you're, it's your itself that is irritated. You would be disturbing yourself. The lower part of the soul respects reason, and if it is disturbed by violent movement, that's like even like just driving the car too fast in a way is violent movement. It is itself that is irritated, and that not remaining in quiet repose when its master is there, and it reproaches itself with its weakness. Uh -huh. So you shouldn't speed, I think, when you drive a car, because it hurts other people. And causes vibrations to your back. It should be mostly sitting still in meditation all the time. Number six, these are not sins, for the man is fully disciplined. What? I'm angry about the violent movements going on in the world right now. In yourself, maybe? I'm angry at my own inner violence. When you mm -hmm. hit that ball at tennis, is that violent? <laughs> well, I do take out some of my uh, anger by hitting the ball harder. And I even hit, what's his name? Uh, I keep hitting uh, Lobsom. Like I hit him, literally hit him on the body with hard, hard uh, strokes. Uh. But... He chooses, he chooses to play at the net. So, if you play at the net, if you play at your own risk. That's why I, I put the, the racket up on uh, front of my face while I'm often at the net, because you could get hit in the face uh -huh, by a hard stroke. Uh -huh. If you're afraid, don't play at the net. Uh -huh. Well, anyways or violent movements of the tennis ball. <laughs> yeah, well, that's structured, though, dear. It's in purposeful violence. Uh, sports is the way you channel physical strength. Uh, and it's we have no evil intent, usually, when you're playing a game. Hmm. Though I'll say that you tried to kill me. <laughs> or Michael say, you were killing everyone. <laughs> David was killing everyone. Some days I play so well, I kill everyone. Other days I don't play so well. I'm shocked at my incompetence. It is itself that is irritated and not remaining in quiet repose when its master is there, and it reproaches itself with its weakness. Um, number six, these are not sins, for the man is fully disciplined. Uh, it's not a sin to play tennis. These are not sins, for the man is fully disciplined. Uh, because it takes discipline and has rules in a game. His effort is directed not to avoiding evil, but to being divine. To the degree that there are these involuntary movements, he is still both God and devil. Or rather, he has in him a being different from him, of a virtue different from his. If these movements are no longer 
then they, there is divinity purely and simply, one of the divine beings that come after the one. He is the one of those that have come from on high. If he becomes what he was when first he came, he is on high. But come here below, he decides. In the here below and makes it like to himself to the extent that it can be like. And to the extent that is possible, he is immune to hurt and does none of these things that are displeasing to his overlord. What form does each of the virtues take in a soul of this sort? Wisdom and prudence consist in the contemplation of all that exists in the intelligence, what the intelligence apprehends by presence. I think the main thing is just to be present. There are of two kinds, one in the intelligence, the other in the soul. In the intelligence, there are not virtues. In the soul, there they are virtues. What are they then in the intelligence? It's acts and it's essence. But in becoming from the intelligence and taking up residence in a being different from them, they are virtues. Uh, I think we've only just begun to explore Plotinus there. I think we're going to have to readdress it and read the entire Aeneades. Justice in itself, for example, as every virtue in itself is not a virtue but the exemplar, the source of what in the soul becomes virtue. Virtue is predicated of a being. Virtue in itself and or the idea of virtue is predicated of itself and not of a being different from it. Justice, again, consists in this, that each being fulfills its proper function, does it always suppose. Diversity of parts, the justice appropriate to multiplicity does, but not justice in itself. It can function in a unity, true justice. Justice in itself is the relationship of a unity to itself, a unity containing no, no, this, that, or the other. In the soul, this loftier justice is to direct its act towards the intelligence. Temperance, its interior withdrawal towards the intelligence, its fortitude, and impassiveness that apes the native impassiveness of the intelligence towards which it directs its gaze. This through virtue the soul must acquire if it would not be the victim of its less noble companion every passion. Section 7. Virtues of this sort succeed one another in the soul as to the exemplars anterior to the virtues in the intelligence. In the intelligence, knowledge or wisdom is thought. Hmm. Temperance in its relation with itself, justice in the achieving of the activity that is proper to it. The analog of courage is the intelligence's identity with itself and the persistency of its pure state. In the soul, wisdom and prudence are the vision of the intelligence, but they are there the virtues of the soul. The soul is not its own virtues, as is the intelligence. The same holds true for the entire series of virtues. God. I think I'd have to reread this after I acquire virtue. All virtues are purifications, whose term is perfect purity. The soul has all virtues by way of purification. If it did not, no one of them would attain perfection. 
Whoever has the virtues under this higher form possesses necessarily in potency the virtues under their lower form, but one who possesses the second does not necessarily possess the first. Such is the life of the wise man. I think that's where, where this whole journey started in a way. What is the life of the wise man? What is wisdom? Such is the life of the wise man in its most eminent form. Does he possess as well in act the lower virtues or only the higher ones? He possesses both sorts, but in different ways. Each virtue should be examined separately. Take prudence. If he exercises the virtues that are the principles of lower virtues, how could prudence in its lower form still subsist when it is no longer used? Take temperance, since the virtues have not the same natural limits. How would it be possible to exercise a temperance that provides bounds only to the desires as well as a temperance that suppresses them completely? Hmm. Do we have a temperance that suppresses completely eating sugar, or is it just partial? Hmm. It is the same with the other virtues, directly prudence. The first of them has been put out of court. Yet the wise man will know these lower virtues. He will possess all the qualities that derive from them. Perhaps even he will occasionally act in conformity with them. But once arrived at the higher, he will act in conformity with them the higher. Henceforth, he does not limit temperance to the control of pleasure. But to the extent that it is possible, he is completely isolated from the body. Well, that's sort of like, for most people, temperance is just control of pleasure. But to the wise man, to the extent that it is possible, he is completely isolated from the body. In a word, he does not live the life of one who, according to civic virtue, is a good man. Don't you want to be more than just a good man? He for for forsakes that life and chooses another in its place, the life of the gods, for his wish is to become like the gods and not to good men. Likeness to good men is likeness to one image, to another image that comes from the same model. The likeness to God is likeness to the model itself. Well, you could become like good men, or you could become like God. Uh -huh. Which is it going to be? In a word, he does not live the life of one who, according to civic virtue, is a good man. I don't want to be a good man only. It's just boring. He forsakes that life and chooses another in his place, the life of the gods. For his wish is to become like the gods and not to good men. Likeness to good men is likeness to one image to another image that comes from the same model. But likeness to God is likeness to the model itself. End of section. <laughs> Seems we found the answer in Platinus. <laughs> Any comment? So what the wise man does. <laughs> sort of like what the wise man actually does. <laughs>